Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Joe McCall. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Really glad you're here. You're in for a special treat today because on this podcast interview, I'm going to be interviewing a good friend of mine who is doing something unique that I promise none of you have thought of or really are doing yet. And when you hear this, you're going to get excited and uh, you're going to want to... We're going to be talking about grandma's house or mom's house. One of those two, right? So if you're interested, stay tuned. I've got a good friend of mine who is an active investor here in St. Louis. His name is Philip Vincent. We'll bring him on in just a second. But first, I want to let you know, if you've not gotten already, you need to get my book, Recession Proof Real Estate Investing. This is a solid, legit book, right? With color graphics and images and tables and spreadsheets. And this book is only seven bucks. And you can get it right now at reiproof.com. Let me get the banner. Where did it go? Here, there, reiproof.com. When you get this, you're going to get access to a mind map as well. Some video lessons that I did about this book. You're going to get the spreadsheets and the paperwork, the follow-up scripts. There are several things that you need to do. With every crisis comes an equal amount of opportunity. And when we're, we are in a recession, this isn't anything new. And regardless of where you are politically, regardless of how the housing market is doing, there's a lot of people that are are out of work and the economy, the government, I think, can only prop it up for so much longer. And so there's a lot of opportunity out there and you need to be able to shift and position yourself in a place of strength. And I talk about the three or four things that you need to be doing in any market, but especially in a recession. And this is going to make sure that your business stays profitable and grows in a recession and even after the recession is over. So get it right now. Go to reiproof.com. It's just seven bucks and you get a bunch of extra bonuses and videos and mind maps and calculators and scripts. It's something like I've never done before. I'm real proud of it. I know you're going to love it. The feedback's been really good. Uh, So go get it. Go get it right now. REIproof.com. And I think we're ready to bring Philip on. Philip, my man, how are you? Good, Joe. Thank you for having me. Philip Vincent, guys, from Mom's House. And we're going to be talking about how he stumbled on this strategy. It's something that he's been doing for years. And a lot of people are like, Philip, how are you doing that, man? How are you getting so many deals? How many? How are you getting so many big deals? And so I wanted to get Philip on. We had coffee the other day here in St. Louis. He's from St. Louis and known each other for a long time. How long has it been, Philip? I'm going to go with every bit of nine or 10 years. Wow. That's I'm always going to be on your show, Joe. So today's the day. We're scrapping that off the bucket list. Here we are. I'm glad you're here, man. So tell people what it is you do and then go back in in history a little bit. How did you get started in real estate? Sure. I, I do acquisitions for a big team here in St. Louis. And I'm always asking the question, where are the best deals coming from? I'm a curious guy. It's a constant question that's never going to end. You know, In 20 years, Joe, we're, me and you are going to be asking that same question to each other. Where are the best deals coming? Telling somebody earlier, I said, back in the early 2000s, we were spending a lot of money on Yellow Pages. Remember Yellow Pages? Yeah. And here we are today, we don't spend any money on Yellow Pages. To go from something so tried and true down to nothing proves that nothing's ever done, right? Even even things I, that I love, like direct mail, right? I love direct mail. But in the end, there's still the spray and pray that you're hoping that that person needs to sell. And right now, you're one of 37 people. There's got to be a better way, right? How did I start? I, I started this business backwards. I started off as a developer and a builder. 
And I worked my way back to wholesaling over 21 years, 22 years, where uh, everybody I talked to is the opposite. They said... You've been wholesaling for how many years? I was. I built my first house when I was 20, and I'm, and I'm 42, so 22 wow. years. Good for you, man. Yeah, and I had cousins in the business, and he told me a story about a builder that thought he was going to make 400 grand, and he actually ended up making 800 grand. And my cousin said, wouldn't you hate that? And I said, hate what? And he goes, paying taxes on making 800,000. I go, no, that's exactly the kind of problem I'm looking for. And so my bravado, I, I think I was a wholesaler Joe before I even knew what the term was. I thought it was such a niche that it wasn't big enough to make a living from. I thought just like most people that things are done through real search, right? I was naive to how big it was. But what I find interesting is even back in the early 2000s, I was knocking on doors of dilapidated homes to find the owner. And I'd knock on the neighbor's door. I'd knock on the person. You know, I, I fearless, right? I was always out breaking eggs, trying to find deals. And so I think I was a wholesaler even before I knew what the term was. Man, I remember those days. I got started in real estate here in St. Louis, 2006. And so you were already doing deals back then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's hard to find those guys. You're an old guy. Sure. And I do feel like an old guy. At 42, I do feel like the old guy. I think I'm like my people doing acquisitions and they're in their late 20s, right? Being 42, I do feel like the old guy now. I feel like some of the hard parts of that is adjusting my brain with how hot the market is currently. I still think everything's worth what it was worth five years ago and things have been moving fast. So, you know, that's interesting because you were wholesaling deals in the and when the market was screaming hot in 2006 and seven, right? Yep. And what's different now? than what was back then. Oh, logic, years ago. logic is completely gone now. <laughs> There's no more logic. I mean, we're in a pandemic and the real estate's the best I've ever seen in 22 years. So I don't have the answer for that, Joe. We can make a lot of money if we figure that out. Why exactly that is. I'm looking forward to the end of the year. I'm excited to see what the next six months brings in this business. Do you see a big change, a big shift in 2021? My, my favorite answer to almost everything right now, Joe, in life is I don't know. I don't horrible know. answer. No, well, I'm sorry, you know, but I don't know, right? Okay, let's talk about the town we live in, right? If you look at 2004 to 2014, right? The up, 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 down, 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 where we live kind of just stayed like this. So depending on where you live, yeah, depending on where you live, there might be no change. Or depending on where you live, you might lose your shirt, right? And so I would be real cautious of rehabs that'll take six to nine months to complete. If that's my free advice of the day, just be careful with those. If you can do well, some... Would you agree to be careful with the rehabs in the in the upper price ranges of things? I to well, and let's talk about that. The middle price ranges of things. If you're sub 300,000 in St. Louis, you're good to go. If you're 500 to 900, you're in trouble. That's the scary range. And then I think a million plus kind of stays insulated from a market just because they have more cash. Yeah, so... Man, that's crazy. You've been in the business a long time. A lot of people that were active back then are not anymore, are they? I mean, you could probably count on one hand in St. Louis, the people that were active then and are still active today. Why do you think that is? Maybe I'm dumb. I don't know. stick I don't know. Just I, <laughs> I, I, I subscribe to the get knocked on eight, get up nine. That's just my personality. I've always had duck feathers. I think the older I get, the more I've shied away from things that I'm not good at. And so like the development side, why I'm not a builder anymore is I'm really, I'm a really bad adult babysitter, which is what I call contracting. And so what I am really good at is sitting belly to belly with the seller and trying to figure out their problem. And I find every, I find the interesting part of everyone. I try to find out what makes them, them, not the surface junk. I try to really get to know that person. I'm very rarely talking about the house when I'm at their house. Yeah. That's one thing you're really, really good at. And I know you know this, but like you're really personal. And you're really, really good with people. And that's like the most important skill in real estate, in business, right? Being good with people, listening, following up, paying attention, calling them over and over and over and over and over again until they get you on your podcast. That's right. You know? That's right. 
<laughs> never taking no, right? <laughs> never, never taking no. That's right. Uh, what's cool too, I want to just point this out. You've been doing the same thing and wholesaling works no matter the market, right? No matter if it's going up, flat, down yeah. for 20 something years. Yeah, you just have to adjust the dial each day, right? The who might buy it from you changes and who might sell it to you really stays the thing. I, I like what your book was called. It's the uh, recession proof, right? What are we doing that's recession proof? Because you should be thinking about it. Remember I said, I don't know. So you want to be, I, I'm not conservative by any stretch, but you want to be, you know, really think about, am I doing something that's recession proof? And I see the hot button seems to be right now is like, uh, cold calling and uh, text messaging, right? And I think I look at those as like crashing wave. They're hot today, but will they be here in five years? Is anybody going to go to jail for it? I don't want to do things that might put me in jail. And I think that, you know, some of these things out there are like, whoa, you know, and so I, I like things that are, and we'll talk about it today. I'm in a very unsexy business of the senior living world. And it's, it's you talk about recession proof. I always say, this is a personal thing I say, but uh, do you ever think about your great grandmother's great grandmother? And people are always like, I don't even know her name. And I go, exactly. I said, we, we matter for very little. And can we help people through this journey of life? Can we have a good life? When people brag to me that they work 80 hours a week, I always say, I feel sorry for you. That is the last thing I want to do. There's CEOs out there that have a way worse life than I do. And I think I don't mind working. I would never mind working, but I always want to work so smart that I'm investing in my own future. Like I'm planting seed that's going to give me a rolling harvest. Mm, that's good. I would have been good at insurance based on that, but I never got into that business. So. Well, let's talk about the senior living. You're the guy in St. Louis that gets all the big deals because you've tapped into something pretty unique. Talk about that. So when people hear the word senior living, I just want to point out to your listeners that a lot of them think about the what's called the residential assisted living section where you take a big ranch that's got five bedrooms and you and you make it into a senior living community. That is not what I do at all. But what I do is the people moving into that five bedroom community or that 150 bedroom community or that 280 bedroom community, the average Joe is 3.8 move ins or move outs a month. So in St. Louis, we have about 250 in our metro area, senior living communities total. Take that times 3.8. How many again? 250. That's the full metro, Illinois, you know, like our full 3 million metro. And that's from, you know, your private pay down to Medicaid. Um, and there's, and it's blinding how many levels of care there are too. It's not just from adult daycare all the way up to memory care. And so, um, there's tons of levels based on who the person is and what they need. And so each one of those has an opportunity that when you see that big crane in the sky building that 280 bed community, almost every one of those people had a house. And the moment they were told that they had to move into senior living, nobody does this on their own, right? If me and you were brothers, do you think we're taking our healthy mom for a visit to a senior living community for fun? Right? No way, right? It's, it's usually thrust upon them. And it's literally called crisis care, Joe. When these families find out that they have to move mom into senior living, usually after a surgery or a fall, it's called crisis care management. Yeah. And so I always say what I do, I get to wear my cape. I, I didn't tell them the bad news that mom can't live on her own anymore. I didn't tell them that that place costs $8,800 a month that we picked out. Because you're not going to pick out the cheap place. You're going to pick out the nicest one. Because there's some guilt involved, right? I can't take care of my own mother anymore. I didn't tell them how much it costs. But in that moment, they realize we're going to have to sell the house to pay for this, right? And it's the house and the stuff. So I would say the most important part, Joe, is getting mom the best care. If you start with that, if you're always thinking, how is mom going to get the best care? The house and the stuff are right there alongside of it going, we need some help with this. Because on average, the adult children live 400 miles away. So the burden that falls, what I call is the most responsible child. And let me point out when I say child. The oldest, most responsible child I've ever helped was 80. He was helping his 98-year-old mother-in-law to sell her house. And so 
When I say most responsible child, I'm usually talking about people in their 60s, helping their parents in their 80s. So you call Mom's House is the name of your business. Are there dads that are doing this? Was it mostly moms? In the industry, even if dad's still alive, what are we going to do at mom's house? You know, your mom kind of, at least for me, mom kind of ran everything, right? So even if dad's lucky enough to be the one that's still alive, uh, which by the way, if you're a man and you make it to senior living, Joe, you're outnumbered seven to one. And seven are, to one? Seven to one. So you'll have a lot of dance partners if you ever make it to senior. Oh. It's almost always men, we put off our health. I'll give you the numbers. The average stay in senior living is 28 months. Men, it's only 22 months. And women, it's like 37. You're like, well, how is there that big a discrepancy? We push things off longer. We die quicker. It's all, it's all those reasons. And so when I call it mom's house, it's a loving term that in the industry, it's like, what are, what are we going to do with mom's house? All right. So, man, it's crazy. My grandpa, by the way, is 97 and still lives by himself in his mobile home in Denver, Colorado. And it just makes you think a lot, doesn't it? Like, what am I going to do? Are my kids going? Yeah. Are my kids going to take care of me? So I think about that a lot. I wish I had daughters because you get taken care of better a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so. This is near and dear to my heart because my wife's mom, she uh, was widowed twice and her husband was smart enough to save and invest a lot of money. So when he passed away, she was still in her 70s. She had another 15, 20 years. And she knew, it's funny because she's really fiercely independent and she knew she didn't want her kids to force her to go. So she went herself to a senior living facility, a really nice one in St. Louis, a Del Mar Gardens on Gravoy. Because her husband was so smart, she had enough money to buy two units together. And so she had her own bedroom and a living room and a kitchen and two bathrooms, which is rare to have in a facility like that, side yeah. by side, that big, right? Sure. But anyway, she loved it there. She actually had a good time and made a lot of friends. Grandkids were all the time coming over to visit her. But she lived for, I think, 17 or 18 years in that place. Wow. But loved it. And she liked the convenience of it. She had a good view of the garden. She had the best room in the whole place. But anyway, I think about that thinking, I want to be as a husband, I want to be able to provide that to my wife if she lives longer than me, right? So it's just something that's, that's an emotional thing. I think everybody has their own story to tell with this this stuff, right? It's very emotional. I mean, yeah, you're, it's your, we're talking about your own mother. You know, the person that took care of you better than probably anybody else on the planet in your life. And what's happening today, Joe, is people are living a long time and they're outliving their money. And like you said, it's a scary thought. It's a, it's a, a sombering thought to, to outlive your money. And even people that have vast fortunes. I know a guy that's almost 100 and he has in-home health care. costs about 30 grand a month for 24-hour care. 30 grand a month. Oh. And he's almost out of money. But he also lived to be 100. So no one planned it that way, right? So a man that was a millionaire is almost out of money because he has very expensive care. And, and I'll, I'll say this about your mother-in-law, our grandma-in-law. She's the exception. Most Americans have... What's the stat? They don't even have $400 for a uh, emergency update in their home, right? And so when you know mom has a $2,800 pension, but you take her to a place that's 8800 a month, where is that money going to come from? Yeah. Me and your brothers are like, well, I'm not splitting that with you. Or There's always a brother or a sister that's doing better than the other. And it's like all this fighting. So what it always comes down to, Joe, is mom's sitting on the equity in that house. And a really surprising stat is some of these communities here in St. Louis, if mom or dad can pay private care pricing, private pay pricing for one or two years, follow me here, because the average day is like 28 months. If they can pay private pay for one or two years, depending on the community, they will let mom or dad live out the rest of their days under the Medicaid plan. That's a huge step. 
that people don't know and, and they don't publicize it because the private pay communities don't, well, oh, we don't do Medicaid. Like they have their nose in the air about Medicaid. They don't put that on the door, right? But why that's good for you and I, let's say, you know, it's our mother we're talking about. You want to move mom once. Like your mother-in-law had that great experience. She made friends and people usually do better when they're not isolated. One of the worst parts about COVID right now is the isolation. People are dying from isolation. And so getting into the community gets mom the best care usually gets her some playing card partners. If you, if you like watching Cardinal baseball, eating pie, and, you know, there's a lot of activities, you know. That's all she did. She'd watch every Cardinal game and play bridge almost every second night. Yeah, that's right. You know, you know, it's funny, too. I have a friend. He wants to be really good. He, so he's, like, in his 30s, and he's practicing learning how to play bridge, pinochle, pickleball, and some other activities so that when he is old, he'll be like the best of everybody. I love it. That's a great idea. Pickleball is fun and I like pinochle. So I, I would play with that guy. That's good. <laughs> All right. So like, how do you find these people, right? How do you find the one that needs to sell their house? You know, mom, they need to sell mom's house. How do you find them? Great question. And so it's not the journey or it's not the hunt for the adult child. It's the hunt for the person that has the trust and the ear of the adult child. So let me, let's talk about direct mail for a second. Could you imagine if the mailman came to your door and said, Joe, Call this guy. He's the most trusted investor in St. Louis. Don't call these other 37 postcards. Call this guy. You're like, okay, shoot. What, why wouldn't you, right? That's from your mailman. Let's forget that for a second. Let's talk about the person that you and I as brothers pick to help our mom get the end-of-life care. How much more important is that than your mailman's referring someplace, right? This is a person that's... And there's somebody called... A, well, I'm going to go through the list, right? There's there's you know hundreds of jobs in senior living, but there's like eight or nine that are really, really great. And this is what your listeners will want to hear. Is the stakeholders in senior living go from the proprietor of the senior living community, the director, the, the finance director, the marketing director, the social worker. Some communities have social workers, some don't. And that's all inside the community. All those people have referred me to business year over year. But outside of that is the vendors that work at that exact same moment. So you've got elder care attorneys that specialize in crisis care. You've got aid and attendance benefits providers. So aid and attendance is one of those little known things that if you served in the military even or your spouse, you can get these benefits to pay for your senior living. How great. But what do, they, what do you know? They don't tell you about it. You have to know about it. And so people that do aid and attendance benefits have been a great lead source for me because if you're getting that benefit at that exact moment, you're usually paying for senior living. Uh, for me, I'm looking for timing, right? We try so hard to make our phone ring. We spend, as investors, we're all in the marketing business. We spend 90% of our time trying to make our phone ring. And this is the exact opposite. This is people raising their hand saying, I need to sell my house. They almost always have 100% equity and they almost always have a house that needs to have something done to update it. And so, as investors, they're the holy grail of leads. Usually they come to me in the form of, hey, Phil, can you be at Bob's house at 2.30 on Tuesday to make an offer? Yes, I can. Right? I don't have to build trust. The trust is already built. That person's already said, Philip is the trusted guy. Philip is my go-to guy. If I can just show up and be halfway competent, you can close a lot of these houses because they're so teed up for what we look for as investors. And I really try hard I don't have to be, a, you know, I'm, I'm a salesperson by nature, but I don't have to be the salesperson. I'm more the, can we figure this out together? Can we find that? You know, a lot of times, Joe, it's not even about the price of the house. It's about what are we going to do with that piano that mom loved? What are we going to do with that hutch? Will that fit? You know, you're putting, you're, you're fixing all these other problems. And when you do, you can have a lot, you can have a job where you help people make a great living and not work the crazy amount of hours that a lot of guys do. It's like, you know, we both subscribe to like that, uh, 
put our life first and then build a business around it. I think both you and I both care about that a lot. I'm, I'm really big into that. I, I don't want to work 90 hours a week. I want to have, I got young sons, like we said, that I want to hang out with. I've got a wife that I love. And so we make this business really hard. And I think if you're going to work anyway, how much better is it to build relationships that are like an oil well to give you appointments year after year, month after month versus always being a slave to that last direct mail drop or that last pay-per-click campaign, you know? I've gotten off of that rat rat wheel. Is that how you say it? Rat race. Or rat race. I've gotten, gotten out of the rat race of the the hamster wheel, right? And so it's now they come to me versus me chasing them down. That's a that's where to be. That's that that is recession proof. Okay, let me play the devil's advocate here for sure. Because somebody's I know somebody's listening to this is thinking if you really wanted to help them, you would just list it on the MLS and sell it for the highest price possible. But Great. you're coming in as an investor to undercut them and get it for the cheapest price possible or something. What do you say to somebody who says that? One of my chapters is called, do you, do you just lowball, right? It's, it's a great question. I am very transparent with my numbers. I like to tell the family exactly what the house will sell for in a retail setting, right? The big number. When I tell them that, I usually see them go, oh, I didn't think he'd ever say that number to me. How we make our value as investors is I can do a $60,000 rehab for 40. That's, that's our 20 grand profit right there, Joe. You know, and, and for them, they live in North Carolina and Moss and St. Louis. And who's going to, who's going to, by the way, the market's so good right now. You know what else we're forgetting? It's really hard to find contractors that are competent. Oh my gosh. That's a great point. And who's going to pay for it? Remember, Moss needs money. By the way, realtors, I love realtors. You know I mean, okay, I'm going to keep answering your question the same way. Realtors bring me deals all the time. Why? The family does not want to do the steps needed to get the house ready for the market, even in a great market. Realtors help me all the time. They walk in and the first thing they say is, clean this place out. Well, Joe, that in itself is a two-month job for even families that get along. And how stressful is that for the mother? Well, for the adult child. There's one adult child. You know, we're in here in St. Louis. There's a lot of six-kid families out here, right? There's one kid that they're getting the stress from their brothers and sisters who think they're not doing it right. They're still having a needy mom who does need help. You know, she's still got doctor's appointments and all this stuff. It's usually a female that still lives in town next to mom. Not always. I'm being stereotypical there, but it's a lot of times it's a female and the the adult children from all over the country say, you're crazy. Mom doesn't need that kind of care. And, you know, we should sell the house for a million dollars. And, and, and keep in mind, we're talking about 50 and 60 year olds. They still have lives. I was just talking to a guy the other day. This happened to him. And he said it was a 30 hour a week job to get his Nana placed for almost three months because she had an 80 pound dog. So the dilemma of having that dog cost him, he said, 30 hours a week to try to get it all figured out. And he goes, I wish I would have met you four months ago. And let's talk about this too. That most responsible child still has kids of her own, still has a husband at home. And I've seen people break up during that time if the loved one stays sick for too long. Because now that needy husband is like, where are you at all the time, right? Why, why aren't your brothers and sisters helping out? And there's resentment building. Like, it's one of the most stressful times. And, and people... I'm getting stressed just thinking about it. Well, and you know what's made me, Joe? It's made me a minimalist because the stuff a lot of times is harder. You know, I mean, I go in 20 houses a week, right? If I drug something home from every house, I would end up... Oh, I got one for you. Instead of calling it hoarding, if you like the person, call it aggressive collector. Aggressive collector. You're an aggressive collector, right? I don't want to be an aggressive collector. I've learned that my wife and I have this rule. If we haven't used it or touched it in 24 months, we don't need it in our house. And so the houses I see are there. Did you say you look at 20 houses a week? Sure. I mean, whether it's online or I look at 20 opportunities, I don't walk through that many. I think in my 22 years, you learn what, what's not a deal. That's, and that's one thing about you know mom's house. I don't know if it's a good deal in Chicago or North Carolina or the West Coast. But in St. Louis, if you give me the address 
I can probably tell you what it's worth just because I've been doing it for so long. Man, talk about... It totally makes sense because, yeah, you could go clean it up. Good luck with finding a contractor, managing that from out of town. Paying for it. Paying for it to get the house ready to maybe eventually sell and then deal with the realtors, the picky buyers. The inspection report. The inspections. All of the stress mm-hmm. with that. You're giving... An ex- I like the way Tom Kroll explains this. You're giving an exchange... In exchange for your price, you're giving them the speed and convenience of selling their house. And surety. And surety. If I can do a $60,000 rehab for 40, all they've done is hunted all that effort. They've gotten they've got me in result in two or three weeks instead of six months. And the, way, the reason why I say six months is if it takes two months to clean it out, because you can't start your rehab until it's cleaned out. And then let's say you got lucky and you rehab it inside of two months, and then the market's good, so you sold it inside of 30 days, that's still six months away. And if mom's got that deficit of her pension versus, there's a lot of stress of who's going to pay for this. So there's not a better time to meet a family. You know that the adult child that lives here and then the brothers fly into town from wherever they live and to catch them on that third weekend of bringing boxes out of mom's basement up to the dumpster. And I say, guys, stop right now. (laughs) The, The heirlooms left the first day, Joe. Like heirlooms, like I don't ever see heirlooms. They're gone. It's stuff. And then mainly trash after that because, you know, mom's basement held everything. It held the VHS tapes that all the stuff from her son's divorce and 10 years ago, you know, it's like a landing pad for stuff, you know, and, and that uh, workout equipment that's in pristine condition, you know, everything that lives in a basement, taxes from 1973, like people don't throw things away. Well, I wonder, have you ever tried to get leads from dumpster companies? Sure. And and so let's keep going. So we only went, we only really did the uh, senior living community side. So outside of that, got the attorneys that do crisis management. You've got the aid and attendance benefits providers. One of my favorites is placement agents. So this is a new business. It's only like 20 years old. Placement agents are like real estate agents for the senior living world. And so they are phenomenal because they're sitting there in the house with the families going, Hey, you know, I got, I know a guy named Philip that you would buy it just the way it sits. You don't have to clean it out. They're like, Oh my God, please give me that guy's number. Right. And my job is practically done. If you can show up with a smile on your face and be a little competent, you can buy a lot of houses. Then also downsizing, which I think is right along with what you're saying with the dumpster companies. I'll give you the stats for St. Louis, or I should even step further back. There was a company called Everything But The House, and they raised some venture capital, like $60 million. And they said, we're only going to do estate sales of 15000 and above. Because the logistics of doing an estate sale is very expensive. And so in St. Louis, all my estate buddies say, good luck with that. The average sale price of people's possessions in St. Louis is $5,000, with the cost of doing the sale around $5,000. So all of that stuff is worth... Almost always. But they always think it's worth a million dollars. And and by the way, I've seen million dollar collections, but it is very rare, Joe. Most people that I see, the stuff is just memories and a hurdle. And I always say the best use for that stuff is to get it back to the person who has the memory. Wow. All right. So you go in and talk about what kind of offer do you make? Is it just always a cash offer? Do you ever offer owner financing or some kind of creative if you're miles apart in price or... Well, we do have a retail arm of our business as well. So a lot of times we'll refer to that. You know, most people we buy from are 82 years old that have lived there for 40, 50 years, right? Very rarely is it a two-year-old house that they just moved into. And if they are, then we'll meet them at their level. In my 22 years, it's hard for new people to get to that abundance mentality, right? Where you're so... Because you you live and die on every single deal. And for me, I try to put my best foot forward with my offer. When I first started off in this business, sometimes people would get mad at my offer. And I realized I wasn't explaining my offer right. And today, I haven't had somebody mad at me in probably a decade. Because when I take them through the journey of what I think the house could sell for what I think needs to be done to it, and then where my offer landed. They're like, okay, I understand where you're coming from. Whether they say yes or not, right? But they at least know 
that I'm, I didn't just pick a number out of the air and hope that they took. It well, you said you have a retail side of your business. What do you mean by that? Well, well, sometimes we'll list a house in a retail setting, like, like a realtor, but it's rare. Our focus is the rehab side. So we do a lot of rehabs a year. And so we want to fill that pipeline full of rehabs. And, and I think why I specialize in this space, they need to sell, they have equity, and they have a house that needs to you know, have something done to it. Very rarely is a house updated to 2020 standards, right? Yeah, it has a lot of deferred maintenance. Right. And that generic story of dad passed away eight years ago. Mom's been doing the best she can on that fixed income. She can't take care of it the way dad did. I hear that a lot, you know, but she's doing the best she can. Nobody's mad at mom, you know. That's the other, that's the other thing I like about this business, Joe. Like some people work like foreclosures and divorces. Those people are kind of, there's some blame there usually on both sides, right? Nobody gets old and Nana for getting old. You know, that's just part of life. And so everybody's there to help. The senior living world is very collaborative if they trust you. But what they want to do, Joe, is they want to put you in two boxes, both of which are negative. They want to think of you as an investor. And if they do that, then they think, well, you might take advantage of grandma, which is never good, right? And they should be cautious of that because most people in real estate are are very transactional. Or they want to think of you as a realtor. And their crocodile brain shuts off when they think of you as a realtor because they already know what a realtor is and they already have a realtor that they work with and they don't need you. So I position myself as a solution for all the, remember all those different stakeholders I went over? You better believe a proprietor of a senior living community and a social worker are not even close to the same human. So how you approach them, what you say is very different. And each one of those has their own what's in it for them. And so in my eight years of working on the senior living side, I've learned through bumps and bruises and tenacity. And even when I got punched, you know, and said, Oh, I didn't say that right. What I realized was I had to keep going back and trying to figure it out because I knew the timing was too perfect. You know, they raised their hands and said to the world, I need to sell my house right now. And so for us in the world of trying to find the best deals, instead of the spray and pray methods, this is the exact opposite deals come right to me. All right. So talk to somebody who's interested in pursuing some relationship marketing like this. Yeah. What, what advice do you give to them? Get, get training um, definitely would be a big one. But I think I've talked to people that have had this idea in the past and they said, I went out and I tried to make relationships and I walked right in and I said, hey, I'm Bob and I buy houses from old people moving into nursing homes and it didn't go well. And I'm like, you think it didn't go well? I said, you said about two or three things that were offensive and, and they don't even know they're doing it, Joe. You know, you and I have known each other a long time. Think about all the real estate investment meetings we've been to. In our business, what I love, right? I'm a, I'm a real estate guy. We're always showing pictures of our checks, right? It's like what we do in our business. I've been networking and senior living now for almost 10 years, nine years. I've never seen the size of someone's check yet. There is no pictures of checks, right? It's not that kind of a business. And if you come in without the help mentality, they're going to smell it. If you come in and let them put you in the box of an investor or a realtor, you're not going to have the success that you want. And so I'm really train people on how to be a solution for that person's problem and asking the right questions to unlock their brains. So they're like, well, yeah, I have that happen every day. And of course, I want you to help me with that. And so once you unlock that, the water gets real warm and they're very collaborative once they trust you. I remember I interviewed somebody on my podcast and I wish I could remember who it was, but they said they measure success by how many hugs they get in a deal. They were investors and they didn't care about the money as much as they cared about the hugs. And he said every single deal that he's ever done, he always gets a hug. And that's his goal. That's his goal. And I thought, man, that is so smart, isn't it? Because when you have that attitude and that's your perspective and your goal to get a hug from them, you'll win every time, right? You'll win every time. And if it doesn't turn into a deal, well, you're not, at least you're you're not that guy that can be accused of taking advantage of somebody in a poor situation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I wish I could remember who, if 
anybody listening to this remembers that podcast, it was from at least three, four, five years ago. Let me know. I've got, um, I'm approaching 850 episodes. I think. Woo! That's a big number, Joe. Yeah. You want to talk about hugs for a second? I, I have a, just a quick little story about a hug guy in a little town called St. Charles near us, a, you know, good little, perfect little blue collar town, right? A small little ranch. He said he did, he does rehabs for a living. This guy who came to me with a deal, right? And he was representing his mother-in-law because the four daughters did not get along. That's what he told me. So I'm meeting with a man whose mother-in-law's house it was. And at the end of it, I said, why am I here? You, you said you do rehabs for a living. He goes, Phil, he goes, if I bought this house, rehabbed it and made a penny, I would get big bad word at every family reunion from now on out. I would get cussed out at every family reunion from now on out because I did that to grandma or did that to mom, right? And he's like, I'm so a man that even has the skill set to do these rehabs because of the family dynamic sometimes would rather have somebody like me come in and just because <laughs> it's it's one of the most trying times in, in in somebody's life. And so we get to wear our cape, right? We didn't tell mom that she has to move into senior living. We didn't tell her it costs 8,800 a month. We're the person that unlocked the equity out of that house. And nobody wants to rehab the house. And if they do, Joe, I, I don't. I just don't get that lead, right? If they want to do a big rehab, I just don't get that lead. But the people that call me are like, uh, I would like to listen. Tell me more. I just found that episode. It's episode 551. Woo. And it was REI in my car while I'm driving. Yeah. And so I was talking to somebody and I talked about my conversation with that somebody in episode 551. It was, he measures success by a hug. So I'm going to listen to that later. But if anyone else is interested, I recommend you check it out. Episode 551, realestateinvestingmastery.com. Oh, I'm on episode 911. Oh, wow. All right. So uh, Philip, give us an example of what a conversation looks like or sounds like when you are approaching, you know, an attorney or somebody in a senior care facility, what does that conversation go like? Yeah, I always like, I never say I'm an investor. I'm a realtor. You, you, you don't want that to happen, right? So you say, I have found that when I'm helping families that are going through this, do you, and I always put it back on them. With, I always like questions. Do you ever find that the family is not prepared to get the house ready for the market? And he's like, yeah, every single day, right? Because the attorney wants to close his file. And he can't until some of these things are buttoned up, right? So he needs somebody that he can trust that's going to help the family navigate because the family's not getting along, Joe. Even families that do get along, don't get along in these cases. The claws come out. And so I've, I've seen every type of fight inside of a family. And so when you meet like with an attorney, I bring a little closure. Like that family usually is always like, can we come back and take a look at it after you rehab it? I'm like, of course you can. I would love to show you guys this house. That makes them feel good that all of their memories, the house they grew up in, it's going to be taken care of by somebody that's trusted and they're going to make it better for the next family. And a lot of these kids, they grew up in this home, right? Almost always, Joe. I'm, I'm, one of my favorite questions is, which bedroom did you sneak out of? And they always, you know, I'm always, and they're always, oh, they always tell me, right? Because that's where all their memories were. You know? Which bedroom did you sneak out of? I ask them that every time. They always think that I get a kick out of that one. So they're, just the fact that you're talking about, I'm going to restore this house, make it look really nice. I'll, you yeah. can come and look at it. I'll send you pictures. Yeah. That's got to mean a lot to them, right? Oh, and they always tell me, mom always wanted to open this wall up. And I go, oh, we're going to open that wall up. And they're like, oh, I can't wait to see that, you know? Yeah. All right. So you go back to the conversations you have with the attorney. How do yeah. you approach them? How do you, what do you say to them? So through networking, you find them at their level. 
Very rarely people are listening today that they think, okay, I'm going to walk into that senior living community and put my hand out and just make a relationship. And Joe, that's not the right way to do it. That's the way I tried to do it in 2011. And it's a really good way to put your foot in your mouth. They're almost like a hospital setting there and it's just not the right time. And so people that are out and there's a lot of, there's a lot of networking happening in senior living, just like our real estate world. It's just, it's done very, a lot more gentle. And so you ask questions that I already know the answer to, right? Do you ever have that situation where this is what the family's going through? And they'll say, and, I'll, and then I look, hey, I ask for the sale immediately. This is not building a three-year relationship to ask for the sale. That's not my nature. I say, are you working with anyone right now that could use a service like that? And you'll get one or two answers, Joe. They'll say, yes, I am. And I'm like, great. Can I go there and make an offer, right? I mean, I met this guy and inside of two minutes, I'm asking for the sale or the, the opportunity to, to go buy a house, right? And then, or the other thing they might say is, man, I wish I would have met you two weeks ago. Ed and his family had a hell of a time trying to sell that house. I wish I would have known you. And either way, they just realize that Philip is a solution for their problem that they face every day. And all of those different stakeholders have their varying degrees of what they want out of it. A proprietor of a senior living and a financial guy, you can have a money talk with him. But with a social worker, I don't talk about money ever. All right. So then what are you doing on a daily basis to try to do you do you call these people up? You know, hey, how's it going? It's been a month. Do you have anything for me? Or sure, I play I play a lot of top golf. I go I like to grab drinks. I like to do lunch. I I'm a firm believer in that never eat alone book. You know, like if I'm going to be out to lunch, I'm going to invite somebody. Uh, now that my relationships are built, I kind of have enough. Um, I, I teach a model. It's called 20 is plenty. And what I mean by that, Joe, is if you just have 20 people in the senior living world, the, the right people that think of you when that situation happens, you can do 20 to 40 deals a year. And I've already said these are my favorite leads, right? Let me just put the icing or the cherry on the top. They're also free and they're ongoing. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, what, what we make this business so hard. You know, and so um, I really love what I do, Joe. You, you, you know that I'm passionate about the seniors, and it's the real estate side is like a it's a happy way to do real estate. Um, you work with the, one of the largest buyers in St. Louis. Yep. Would you say that's fair? As far as the little guys go, we're one of the biggest. That's right. Yeah, they're <laughs> one of the biggest, and they do a lot of outbound direct to seller marketing. Oh yeah. Do you still do that yourself? Well, do I you mean, still work some of those leads. With them? No, we. I mean, we have people for that. That sounds pretentious, but we have people that do that. Like we're a big company. But when I sit through the meetings every single week, because we look at every single metric, I know how hard it is. And it's getting worse right now. Today is Tuesday. I have my morning, you know, every Tuesday at 10, I have my meeting every week. And this company in particular, I don't know anybody else in the industry. And I know a lot of people. I don't know anybody else that tracks their numbers like they do. It's it's insane. So so I sit through, I sit through that college every day, right? Of what what's working, what's not. And we're not afraid to try things. You know, we've done pizza top boxes. We've done church bulletins. We've done... We did a $25,000 mailer one time, Joe, that, uh, for the like the cellophane, you know, the high color, like there's a bunch of cards in there. 25 grand, Joe, we got zero houses out of it. You know how bad that hurts? Are you talking about like the Valpac? Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. You probably got it. We don't mind trying things. Well, and just fundamentally, because we are a reputable company, we stay away from like your uh, banded signs and we don't do any uh, text message blasting. Not that they don't work, but we're just not in, we're just not in that mm, cheesy. So we don't have to be anymore. We're in that, we're, we're trusted. And that helps a lot to build credibility. I always say to people like, if you're if the name of your business is like cash money home buyers, you might want to think about that, right? If you're going to get in senior living, it needs to be a little more hugs and kisses than cash money home. You know, this is an example. So what would be a good example of a company name? Sold on seniors, or you know, what I mean, like something that's putting them first. Mom's um, house is that, uh, hey, is that trademarked? Uh, Joe, you know, I like simple names. My friend, my eight year old can spell it. Mom's house dot com. I love it. Have you done a book? 
I think you yeah. were talking about that, right? I do. I have a book. It's called The Black and White of Gray. We're getting ready to release it here pretty soon. The Black and White of Gray. What's that about? The journey that that adult child is having with their parents wow. and what I've learned. Yeah, I kind of. If I had a dollar for every time somebody said, "I wish there was a book," I, I wish there was a book I could have read before I went through this. It would be a lot. No, it's like having a kid, right? No one's prepared to have a kid. You can do all this stuff, but you're never prepared because you, mom's great until she isn't, right? And now all of a sudden you're making these decisions. Now I do feel like, uh, well, let's talk about this for a second. You know, probate leads. I, I'm a huge fan of probate leads. They're some of the best leads for real estate investors, right? Let's uh, let's understand the difference between what I do, which is some industry started to call pre-probate. I actually have preprobate.com as well. Preprobate, which is nothing right now, but pre-probate leads, why they're exponentially better than probate leads is simple. If you and I are brothers and our mother has passed away and a probate case is open, you and I, Joe, care about every dollar that the house sells for because what's in it for us? And when you're helping your mom move into senior living, whether you get 92 grand or 96 grand or 88 grand for the house, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter, but it kind of doesn't matter because that money is going to go sit into an account and that six grand a month or whatever that it's going to until it's gone. And then Medicaid's going to kick in. So for the only time I've ever seen in real estate where it's more about, can you be trusted? Can you show up and close? And you talk about like the, like the investor that I want. The, the person that keeps me up at night is the one that's only strategy is to wholesale. I, I can't work with that person because if you ever wrote a 30-day contract and your only outlet was to wholesale it and you, and you didn't do what you said you would because you didn't get it wholesale, that butterfly effect would ripple throughout the whole, this loving mom's house brand that we're building, right? And so I want somebody, I don't care if you wholesale, I'm not against wholesale, I love wholesaling. It's just, if you write a contract, do what that contract says, whether you wholesale it or not. That's really good. And I've talked about that a lot over the years. Like you need to have the intent and the means to close on that property. Doesn't mean you can't assign it or wholesale it, but don't enter into the contract if you can't buy it. Yes, and I, and I hear just like crazy stories about people's business practices to call the day before closing and try to renegotiate. Joe, no, that, and, and that's that's where I think, you know, like show, you know, just our industry is a little too brazen for the senior living world. And so I think if you have empathy and put that seller first, you can have, you can build something really great. And so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a different business. It's a really good business for people who care about others. Yeah, that's fascinating. And you get a feel good feeling out of it. I want to address this too, because I know somebody's listening to this who doesn't have the money to close on these houses. Okay. And they're freaking out wondering, oh my gosh, like I can't do this. I have to have the money in the bank. So what are some of the access to funds that you use to close these deals? Sure. You know, banking relationships are great, but that's just one of many ways to fund deals. Um, if you have a track record of buying and selling houses, there's so much money on the sidelines right now that would give you a back rub to get an 8% return on their money, right? They would just love that, right? They would. They would love to have anything say. And you'd be surprised if you put it out there, your friends and family, um, you can do private money. There's hard money options out there. Hard money, while it's expensive, it gets you in the game. I feel like analysis, real estate is one of those only businesses that I know of where you might have thought you were going to make 50 grand, but then you make five and you're like, oh, I only made five. You got paid for that education, right? What a great business that you, you didn't make 50, but you still made five grand, but you learn from it. And can you get better on the next one, right? The great thing about working with hard money lenders too, like your company does, if they won't lend on the deal, it's not a good deal to, to buy anyway. It's a good safety net. Yeah. You may, you may need to go back and before you actually are the day before you're committed to close, it's better to go back a day after you sign the contract to negotiate a better price, right? During your contingency. Cool. So any, any final words of advice, Philip, you, you give to somebody who's thinking about getting into this? Thank you for having me on Joe. Um, words of advice are, you know, you can, you can build something amazing here from a lifestyle perspective and a, you're going to work for it one way or the other. Why not 
you know, I, people always say, I can't network. I can't go out there and network, Joe. I, I can't do that. And I'm like, do you ever buy houses from wholesalers? They're like, yeah, all the time. I said, do you ever buy houses from real estate agents? They're like, yeah, all the time. I said, where did you meet those people? I networked. So what I'm saying is we all are networkers. I'm just saying that the industry is not doing it in the right spaces. And so I'm shining a big bright light that the senior living industry and the real estate industry are good. They're like peanut butter and chocolate if you know how to do it. And it's a great way to blacklist yourself if you don't know how to do it. And so I'll leave you with that. That's good. All right. So how can people get a hold of you, Philip? What's the next step if somebody wants to get more information from you on, on how to do more of this? So simple. Momshouse.com. Momshouse.com. I'm going to create a banner. Yeah, do it. Momshouse.com. How's that? Oh, perfect. Look how pretty that is. I like simple domain names. I'm a simple guy. Momshouse.com. Cool. What do they see when they go there? It's really a public-facing website. We deal a lot in the senior living industry from a national level. So I'm building out a network of trusted investors nationwide that are going to be like the boots on the ground in the local level. So like if you're in Albuquerque, right, you, you go build these relationships with all those stakeholders. And then from the top down, we're building a really an appointment engine for the senior living. I mean, I'm sorry, for the real estate world. Beautiful. It is. Well, Philip, I appreciate you getting on the show. Finally, I twist your arm. I twist your arm to get on the show, but this has been really good. Thank really you. Good. I think this is an important topic to talk about. As investors, we need to put a better foot forward, right? And we need to be more conscientious of our industry, how we're presenting ourselves. Yeah. Little things like when you when you say you're going to close, you're going to close. Don't go back to the seller. And then be more sensitive. I think one of my biggest takeaways from this podcast has been be more sensitive to when with these families that are going through these things, you know, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And it's important to, to, to get that figured out. I agree. Cool. All right. Momshouse.com. People can find you on Facebook too, or are you more active on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook, Philip Vincent. You got it. All right. Thank you, man. We'll see you all later. Thank you for having me. Bye all guys. Right, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.